Good evening and welcome to What We Lose in the Shadows, a father-daughter true crime podcast. My name is Jamison Keys. I'm Caroline. Today's episode is accompanied by the following trigger warnings. Murder, domestic violence, and abuse. Today was Mother's Day 2007. My family and I resided at that point in Plainfield, Illinois. Our church was meeting at the Plainfield North High School because we didn't have a building yet. And as we walked out, a young lady walked up to me. She had in her possession a small flower and a picture on the top. The picture was of Lisa Stebbick. Lisa Stebbick was a 37-year-old mother of two when she went missing on April 30th, 2007. She and her husband, Craig, had a rocky relationship and were going through a messy divorce. The two had agreed to live under the same roof while they worked through the divorce process. Lisa Michelle Stebbick was born May 19, 1969. She was born to a large family of people who loved her. She had a degree in hospitality and hotel management. In 2007, she was working as a lunch lady at an elementary school so she could be with her children after school. She was described as a devoted, loving mother and a kind friend. She was starting a new chapter in life. She had taken up running. Her husband Craig was a pipe fitter and often worked in the Plainfield area, as the community was seeing a spike in new home construction. Plainfield itself is a safe and quiet community about 30 minutes from Chicago. The couple had lived in Waukegan, but moved to the area to be closer to his work. At the time of the disappearance, they were living separate lives. Lisa had been sleeping on the couch with her purse and all of her personal belongings gathered about her. Monday, April 30th, 2007. The Stebbicks had a normal start to their day. Lisa went to work and was on her way home around 2.30 p.m. She stopped at a sandwich shop for a bite and headed to pick up her son at Walker Elementary School. She arrived there around 3.30 p.m. At about 5.40, Craig arrives home from work and gives his children money to go to the candy store. The Walgreens was about a 10 to 15 minute bike ride from the house. At 6 o'clock, Craig says that he was working in the backyard and he thinks he heard Lisa leave. Sometime around 6.30 to 6.45, the children arrive back from Walgreens and Craig immediately takes them to Target to buy a birthday present. Now we're not sure for who because the source material doesn't say that. Lisa often worked out in the evenings, around 6 or 7 p.m. Typically, she would be home no later than 11 p.m. Occasionally, she would stop by to have a glass of wine with her friend and co-worker, Ruby. On this particular evening, though, Lisa did not return home, and she was never spotted at Plainfield North High School during any point of that evening. The next morning was May 1st, and Craig noticed that Lisa was not on the couch, nor had she been. At 8.50, he calls her work to see if she had made it there. She had not. Craig goes to the next-door neighbor and asks if she had seen Lisa at about 10 a.m. She had not either. At 10.15, local Plainfield police receive a call from the neighbor. So why do I highlight and mention the fact that the neighbor was the one that called the police? Two reasons, really. I think it's odd at that point that Craig didn't call. But more importantly, Lisa herself had told the neighbor that if anything odd happened and they couldn't find Lisa, to call the police immediately because she was sure that Craig had done something to her. At 
So that is what we know. From this point on, we're going to be speculating a little bit. Some of the things just don't make sense, at least to me. Lisa was going to work out at the Plainfield North High School. The Plainfield North High School is about an hour walk from where she lives. Lisa took her purse, she took her phone, but she didn't take her car. I guess someone could have picked her up, but we don't know that for a fact. So, Carrie, let me ask you a question. You work out. Occasionally. (laughs) When you're going on a run, would you take your purse and your cell phone at that point? There's literally no way, unless it's the world's smallest purse, that I'm taking a purse on a run with me or walking over an hour by myself at night. That's right, because it was about 6 p.m. at this point, and the the thing being, it was going to get dark. Now, that part of Plainfield uh, was kind of interesting in that it didn't have any sidewalks per se. So she's going to be walking on a, a road without any sidewalks in the dark to some place that was probably going to close at 8 or 9 o'clock anyways. It just doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. And her walking to work out and then walking back, is a little extreme, I think, for most people, especially a busy mom. Right. And, you know, here's here's the other thing. Now, some people would say, well, maybe she met someone uh, or maybe that someone gave her a ride. <laughs> but according to her uh, family, Lisa never took rides from people and she would have always taken her car. So I think something odd also is the fact that Craig, his, his wife, is obviously missing. He can't find her. He chooses to go into work at that point. Now, we didn't know how long he was at work. Uh, We do know that later that day, he does go to the Plainfield uh, Police Department to file a missing persons report. I think that's so odd that your significant other is missing. I mean, I know they were in the middle of divorce, but I still think it's really odd that you would just ignore that. Right. And I'll tell you another odd thing is the very day that Lisa disappears, uh, she had filed with her attorney, as I said, they were in the middle of a divorce, but she had filed with her attorney to have him evicted from the house. And the reason she cited for having him evicted from the house, this according to Leeson's petition uh, for temporary eviction, stated he was being unnecessarily relentless, cruel, inconsiderate, domineering, and verbally abusive. This is reported by the Nipperville Sun. She also went on to say that his behavior was jeopardizing the well-being, and mental health of their children. So early on, Craig seems like he's being helpful, if not fully cooperative. He offers up the family computer, and I'm not sure if that makes him cooperative or just clever, maybe giving them something that he is really certain that there's no damning evidence on. Either way, the following week, the case seems to accelerate a bit. May 8th, Craig refuses to take a polygraph test, adds the advice of his lawyer, and on May 14th, Plainfield police conduct a midnight raid and confiscate all the family's electronics and both vehicles. Less than a week later, a small amount of blood uh, of Lisa's is found on a tarp in the back of Craig's truck. That's according to the Neighborville Sun. In June, Craig is named as the person of interest in Lisa's disappearance. He is, to this day, the only person ever named as a person of interest. Now, it's fairly common for the husband or boyfriend to be a suspect and That isn't without precedent. That's very true, sadly. According to domesticviolencestatistics.org, every nine seconds a woman is beaten or abused in the United States of America. 
Domestic violence is the leading cause of injury for women. And every day, in the U.S., three women are murdered by their husbands or boyfriends. Yikes, that's both terrifying and totally disgusting all at the same time. Now, let's be clear, there's no concrete evidence that that's exactly what happened here, but it is important to keep those numbers in mind. However, the blood on the tarp is really troubling. Uh, how much blood did they find? Well, we're not really sure. The source material is a little thin on that. Uh, enough to set off red flags for the police, but definitely not enough to name him as a suspect. Uh, when asked about that, Craig said that he wasn't surprised about the blood being found on the tarp because he often hunted uh, and he was sure that it was animal's blood. Uh, I read in several places that Craig at one point had been a private detective, although I couldn't confirm that. Uh, if he was a PI, he would probably have a decent understanding of how criminal investigations work. For example, a PI might know how to neutralize certain DNA evidence found. Neutralize, like um, mixing human blood with animal blood? Yeah, exactly. Why? That makes sense. But why wouldn't he just get rid of the tarp? Hmm, that's a great question. Because it was a trace amount, and that triggered the search warrant, so that's a great, great question. Let's take a deeper look at Craig. He's had a few run-ins with the law. In 1995, he was convicted of two felony accounts of unlawfully using a weapon, that is, discharging a weapon within a 1,000 feet of a school. And at that same time, he and his father, who was also found guilty, Craig was also cited for hunting out of season, uh, driving on a suspended license, and all this took place in uh, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, uh, where his family had a hunting cabin and a lot of land. Hmm. Well, according to CBS2 Chicago, a conservation officer whose job it is to protect natural resources and make sure everyone's hunting safely and legally had a tense interaction with Craig and his father, Joe Stebbick during which the officer felt the need to pull his gun out of his holster. The officer was quoted saying, I think every police officer has individuals that they make contact with in their career that basically make the hair on the back of their neck stand up. Whether it's the look, the cold stare, or whatever, that's exactly what I had for Craig, Holmes said. This was after the 1995 encounter. During the raid on the Stebbick home in 2007, 24 guns were seized. 24. They were all tested and eventually returned back to the Stebbick household. When he and his father had the incident with the conservation officer, they were also in the possession of a large number of weapons. Now, the Second Amendment notwithstanding, that's a staggering amount of guns. Second Amendment or not, why do you need so many guns to shoot deer? And also, in 2009, Craig Stebbick was arrested on assault charges, accused of making a threatening remark to a neighbor. That charge was somehow a misdemeanor. So I think we can surmise that Craig Stebbick really likes guns. Mm -hmm. And I think we can also conclude that, that he's a person that pretty much does things uh, whatever he's always wanted to do the way he wanted to do it. Cutting out a season, firing a weapon near a school, driving on a suspended driver's license— uh, sort of a random disregard for the law. It's also interesting that during the arrest in Michigan, they found evidence of animal blood on a tarp in the vehicle itself, but not the animal itself. 
the conservation officer guessing that he had actually hidden the animal in one of the many open mining pits uh, that are so prevalent in Iron County, Michigan. You know, Dad, according to the Zoda Foundation, an abuser who has access to firearms increases the likelihood of femicide, which is the murder of women and girls, by 400%. And one in two female murder victims are killed by their intimate partners. So let's talk about the alleged abuse. So police were called to the house a few months earlier before the disappearance, uh, but they were actually called by Craig and they were responding to what officers classified uh, as a nonviolent incident. Hmm. I found information that she may have been going to counseling at an organization called the Guardian Angels, which is for abused women. Yeah, I saw that too, uh, but there's no corroboration in any other source, uh, in any of the source material articles I found. Uh, but the very nature of those organizations, they are pretty tight-lipped about everyone that they're helping. That's very true. I volunteer at one. The safety of the women is of the utmost importance for them, so that's probably why they're so tight-lipped about everything, as well as HIPAA laws. Right. So I know sometimes uh, there have been cases of abused women that work with organizations like that, and they, they simply up and leave. That's the, only, that's the only alternative they're given. They take nothing with them. They just vanish. They start new lives uh, for themselves. However, unlikely that may be here uh, is, do you think that's a possibility? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, she was on the verge of getting everything she wanted. Craig was about to get evicted from the house. She was possibly going to get alimony. And then there are the children to consider. A mother leaving without her children. It's unlikely to me. But at almost every interview article or recollection from a friend or neighbor or any community members, her kids meant everything to her. I don't think there's any way she would leave without them. Most mothers don't. All right, then. Is it possible she was abducted by someone else? I found information that she'd been trying to find other women to work out with or jog with. Um, she posted something on Aerobic Friends, a Facebook group, uh, looking for female friends to work out with her. Propral said that she also wanted to incorporate her children into her workouts. So she was looking for women only for running partners, um, rightfully so, to get out and enjoy nature while safely making friends. Some people have proposed the idea that a creep or online stalker may have taken advantage of her, lured her out under false pretenses, and who knows? What do you think? While that's certainly possible, I still think the more likely scenario is that something happened. Um, maybe Craig got wind of the eviction, or maybe he became aware of the fact that she was seeing other people. Something uh, happened, and it, it triggered him uh, to violence, maybe. We just don't know. I agree. I think that's more likely. There are so many things that are just strange about this case. Why she didn't take her car with her to go work out? She left all her clothes and personal belongings behind. If she was running, she took her purse on the run with her. Craig never attended any of the memorials or searches for her. And since the search of the home, Craig has been unhelpful to finding his missing spouse, divorce or not. Right, that's all really odd. And 
in some cases, almost unbelievable. The whole timeline for me is a problem as well. I mean, he sends the kids to the store, uh, knowing the area, because we kind of lived just a few miles from there. Mm-hmm. It's maybe 30 minutes or so bike ride to the store, which is a Walgreens, I think. And so if the kids took their time at the store, which is having two kids, <laughs> I know that that happens. Um, let's say, you know, given that, that they'd be back sometime within 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, but he would have had to have planned this already. It would have been premeditated and just use the candy store as like a ruse to pull the plan off. Yeah, that's such a tight timeline. It, it, it brings up obvious points of what happened to the body. Right. And when the kids arrive, he immediately scoops them up and goes to Target. Could he have had some help? This happened on a Monday. Uh, he spent the entire weekend before at his father's hunting cabin in Michigan. So it could have enlisted his father or someone else. Who knows? Uh, and we'll never know, basically, because the father passed away, I believe, in 2021. Yeah, that's suspicious. Um, as of right now, uh, he's only a person of interest. Right, but there have been many suspects, and every last one of them has been cleared. Yeah. One other thing. This case has often been forgotten, pushed to the sides, both nationally and in the Chicago area. I'm thinking about the Stacy Peterson case. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, that's true. Um, there were a string of cases that all happened in relatively close proximity and in a really cl- relatively close uh, time frame. I mean, in June of 2007, uh, a real piece of garbage named Chris Vaughn uh, murdered his wife and three children in Springfield, mm-hmm. Illinois, on their way to, of all places, a water park. Wow. Uh, in October of 2007, Stacy Peterson, which you mm-hmm. mentioned, uh, disappeared from her home in Bolingbrook. And Bolingbrook is about 20 miles or so from Plainfield. And then for me, one of the most disturbing cases ever uh, is in February of 2008, the still unsolved Lane Bryant shooting where five random people inside a store in Tinley Park were gunned down. Wow. This is kind of a somber day because as we record this, Today marks the 16th anniversary of the disappearance of Lisa Stebbick. Her family, friends, and her children deserve closure. So if you or someone you know has any information that might help the police find Lisa or what happened to her, even if you think it's small or maybe unrelated, please call your local FBI office, the nearest American embassy, or the Plainfield Police Department at 815-436-2341. Follow the show on whatever streaming site you're listening on. And remember, all of the source material will be available in the show notes. And follow us on Instagram at What We Lose in the Shadows. And let us know if you want to hear a specific case. Or if you just want to give us some feedback. Okay, join us in the shadows next Tuesday. Bye.